Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. This is the day. This is the day. The title of my sermon today is Plain and Simple Truth. God's people of the Old Testament celebrated the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which was called the Day. For Christians, the chain of events between the crucifixion and the resurrection on Easter Sunday is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. This makes Easter the day. Everybody say the day. day. Because it's a special day, we are doing special things. We have a bunny hop. Now for the religious, we're just using a fun term. We have a scripture to back it up because we know we've been instructed to leap for joy. And, and so we have to create images for the kids. So, so get over it if you, if you think we shouldn't call it bunny hop. It's too late. We already did. And if you think that's interesting, we also have a pinata. It's the head of Satan, and they're going to beat the crap out of Satan. And then when they break it open, blessings are going to fall out, and they're going to get a lot of sugar in their system. Can I get a little in this? I don't want it to ring, but I could use a little volume up here. I can't get that to turn. Maybe somebody will come turn it for me. Because it's the day we're doing special things. We had a special Easter choir. And my son sang in church for the first time. Technically, at uh, one of our, uh, at our Dwell Conference, we were having a prayer meeting and we all came into prayer meeting and Cole and Reggie were up singing when we walked in. And so technically he sang for the team then, but that was just our serve team as we were gathering the night before the conference started. So, but today was the first time with the microphone in his hand, standing up with mom and dad, special things for a special day. And some churches, people dress up, wear a suit and a tie like they're going to a wedding or a graduation because it's the day. I dressed up a little bit. I'm wearing a jacket. How's it look, Sam? What, is, what do they say these days? Fly? It, how do I look? What? I look, okay. Fire. Fire? I like fire too. It's Groovy, groovy. It's a special day. Yeah. Keep it up, please, please. Please stop, 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 stop. Let's make Easter the day. My message today will be on the cross and it will conclude with the resurrection of Christ and how we receive all of the amazing gifts, the benefits of Christ's redemptive work, the plain and simple truth, all that we believe, all that we pursue, the signs and wonders, the miracles that we go after, the desire to see the glory of God come, to see the spirit poured out upon all flesh. It all hinges on the plain and simple truth. All the prophetic words, all the gifts of the spirit, all hinge on the story of the cross, the lamb. 
Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. on a Friday and remained on the cross until 3 p.m. for six hours. From 12 o'clock noon until 3 p.m., he spoke seven different times. Not one of the four gospels tell us all of the seven things he said. It's, it's the perspective of these four gospels. Uh, in, like in Luke, the 23rd chapter, Jesus speaks three things on the cross. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You could almost help me say the rest. For they know not what they do. Imagine. Imagine, place yourself at the foot of the cross. Hearing the words of this tortured man. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The second thing that Luke 23 tells us that Jesus said was verse 43. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a concept. What? What? A, I mean, just imagine. We have to pause and think this man, this thief, hanging next to him. One of them was taunting with the rest, but the other on the other side appealed to Jesus. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The third thing Luke shows us is verse 46. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In John 19, there are three more things that John tells us. Verses 26 and 27, Jesus said, woman, behold your son. Now you have to understand when he's saying these things, he's in excruciating pain. His hands are nailed. He's suspended on wooden beams. And he looks down and sees his mother. And he sees John, the beloved. And he says to the woman, behold your son. So he, this, is, this is taking great effort for him to speak. Son, behold your mother. As he desperately tries to take a breath, the breath that he created. Verse 28 of John 19, Jesus said, I thirst. He was showing the human side. I thirst. The third thing John shows us that Jesus said in verse 30, John 19, verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. Three little words that we could talk about for the rest of the day. What is it? All of your struggle. All of your sickness. All of your family struggle. The divorce. The pain, the emotional wounds, it, whatever it is that he came to face and deal with, it is finished. The sacrifice, the work of the lamb, of the slain lamb, the sacrifice, it is finished. And then Matthew and Mark tell us one more thing that he said. Mark 15, verse 34, and Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. 
Jesus quoted the prophetic psalm of David. He said, why hast thou forsaken me? The seven things Jesus said on the cross. The cross of Christ. So now I want to talk about the death of Christ. Christ's death is called the passion. The intense suffering of Christ. It's unforgettable. It's unique. It's incomparable. It's eternal in its value. He died for you and me. Isaiah 53 verse 5. I quoted several scriptures already, but now I've got some for you to put up on the screen. Isaiah 53 verse 5. We're all familiar with it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I wonder if I could get you to say that out loud with me. I'd like for those words to be in your mouth this day. Let's say it with me. Come on. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death of the cross. Revelations 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have to understand the saving work of the cross. There was uh, one year there were a series of tornadoes that were uh, hitting Ohio and eastern Pennsylvania. Terrible storms, over 100 lost their lives. Prior to the storm, there was a man named David Koska who was umpiring a Little League baseball game in Wheatland, Pennsylvania. When he saw the black funnel, Heading toward the field, he rushed into the stands and grabbed his niece. He pushed her into a nearby ditch and covered her with his body. Then the tornado struck. When the youngster looked up, her uncle was gone. He had given his life in this deadly storm to save her. You have to understand the saving work of the cross. In the demonic storm, Jesus ran into the stands and grabbed his kid and he covered you with himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to save sinners. That's the plain and simple truth. To everyone who will believe, that is the plain and simple truth. That Christ died on the cross in order to save sinners. Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is his desire for us. John 3.16, we could all quote it again, a familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There's that word again. But have everlasting life. The plain and simple truth. I, 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 I wrestled with 
the title because it is plain and simple, but it's extraordinary and deep and unthinkable. There are 10, I'm going to share with you 10 biblical facts of scripture, 10 scriptures, facts, plain and simple truth from the word of God to support this. Number one, this is, we believe this man sinned and must die. Genesis, the second chapter, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Romans 5, 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The second fact I want to share with you is this. Man is essentially sinful and is therefore distant from God. Sin separates us from him. It creates a distance, a gap. Sin separated man from God, creating a great gulf between them. Man hear me. Man is sinful by nature and therefore sins in thought in word and in deed. He is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. I think I'll say that again. It's just for me. He is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. He does what he does because of what he is. I know that's not a, a great truth that you want to scream hallelujah, but you have to understand the gravity. Galatians 3.22, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is why even the best of people still need redemption. Number three, sin is judged by a righteous God. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that needs to hear this specifically. And I, I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon specifically to the lost. And that creates an opportunity. We always know that after we have our encounters in worship and the reality of the presence of God that people come and, and say, I want to have what you have. There's something about what you walk in that I want, but I don't know that I ever so laser focused on the cross and the message of salvation and redemption. Uh, but this is the truth. This is the third fact, the plain and simple truth. Sin is judged by a righteous God. The, re the reaction of God's holiness against man's sinfulness is wrath. The wrath of God is simply the righteous anger of a good and holy God against sin, not against you. Jesus felt the wrath of God. I want to say that Jesus felt the wrath of of God against sin. He felt the burden of becoming sin for all mankind. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Number four, the fourth fact, because God is righteous, he cannot tolerate sin but must expose it. I don't like that word expose, especially if it's my sin. I'll just work it out on my own. I'll let God expose it to me. I don't want him to expose it to you. There's a danger. Uh, our, our pastor uh, several years ago uh, in over at Covenant 
said there's there's this danger if you don't deal with your weakness weakness will become wickedness God hates sin with a perfect hatred and cannot tolerate it Psalm 89:14 righteousness and justice righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne David is saying this Mercy and truth go before your face. The fifth fact, to be right with God, man needed an advocate. I'm using words that I've always heard that I'm going to try to define a little better. We say words and we think we know what they mean and we just keep going through and we're like, okay, it sounds right. Amen. Man needed a mediator, a judge, an umpire a go-between, a reconciler. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Number six, another man could die for man, but all are born of sin. Only Man could die for man, but no man born of Adam's race could qualify. Job 25, 4. How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? Virgin birth was the only way to accomplish this. Number seven, to redeem man, God became man. Only God could redeem man, but God could not redeem man as God. You say, well, God could do whatever he wants to, but this is the way he established it. God could not redeem man as God. He had to become a man. Thus, he became a sinless man by the incarnation so that he could redeem man back to himself. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Plain and simple truth. Christ's death on the cross, number 8, atoned for man's sin and appeased God's wrath. There's this story, it's a true story. There was a war between Britain and France. And men were, there's this word they use, men were conscripted into the French army by a lottery. When someone's name was drawn, he had to go off to battle. There was one exception to this. A person could be exempt if another person was willing to take his place. On one occasion, the authorities came to a certain man and told him he was among those who had been chosen. He refused to go, saying, I was shot two years ago. At first, they questioned his sanity, but he insisted that this indeed was the case. He claimed that the military records would show that he had been conscripted two years previously and that he had been killed in action. How can that be? You're alive now. He explained that when his name came up, a close friend said to him, you have a large family, but I'm not married and nobody is dependent on me. I'll take your name and address and go in your place. That is indeed what the records showed. This rather unusual case was referred to Napoleon Bonaparte, who decided that the country had no legal claim on that man. He was free. He had died in the person of another. True story. Incredible principle. It's what Jesus 
exemplified. Number nine, the ninth fact, the cross was planned in heaven before sin ever entered the world. The crucified Christ, the Lamb of God, the atonement was foreordained before man was created or sin even entered the world. The remedy for sin was prepared before sin ever entered the world. The cross was ordained in heaven. Revelations 13 verse 8. All who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hebrews 9:26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Number 10, Christ's death is the only death that reconciles God to man and pays the penalty for all sin. I want to say that again. Christ's death is the only death that reconciles God to man and pays the penalty for all sin. The death of Christ was an absolute unique death for his death was an atoning death. All redemption of humanity rests on his death. His death was the only death in all deaths that was ordained by God to reconcile man, to purge sin and pay the penalty. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. I'm reading a lot of scripture today. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, Paul said, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Second Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. So I talked about the cross of Christ and I talked about the death of Christ. And so now I want to talk about the power of the cross. There are, uh, there were medieval saints who used to erect crosses in the center of uh, old European villages. It was known as a market cross and they still have it in some old villages today. The plain and simple truth, the beautiful idea was that the cross should dominate all of business. That every concern, every interest that we walk through would be under the shadow of the cross. Communities set it up this way so that their whole village, their whole community would be under the shadow of the cross. So I'm going to give you a few definitions. The cross provides redemption for me. Redemption, the definition of redemption means to buy back, to purchase with the price out of the marketplace. That's, that's the definition for redemption. A man named Stanley Jones said, at the cross, God wrapped his heart in flesh and blood and let it be nailed to the cross for our redemption. Yes. 
Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The power of the cross. The cross provides a ransom. The definition of the word ransom. Here are these words that we read and it just kind of breeze through when we're reading our Bible through. And, and we, we see these words and we think we know what they mean. Here's the definition of ransom. The price actually paid in the transaction of redemption. Christ's death was the meeting of the conditions of that great covenant which the father had made with his son ages before. Promising eternal life to all for whom should pay the costly price. Mark 10 and 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The cross provides a substitution Substitution, the definition of substitution, I think we get it, right? To put in the place of another or on behalf of another to exchange or interchange. Second Corinthians 5.18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The cross provides reconciliation the definition for reconciliation to make friends and bring together those who are at odds reconciliation to make friends and bring together those who are at odds with each other enemies at Christ's cross God and the sinner can meet while Christ stands in the middle, reaching out one pierced hand to the Father, pleading, Father, forgive them. And to those of us that are searching, he reaches to us and said, be reconciled to God. And he gets our hand and he pulls it towards him and he grabs the hand of God and pulls it towards him and reconciles us and brings us into relationship. Reconciliation. Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's another word that I've heard, I've read. The cross provides propitiation. Propitiation means to appease to render favorable the offering of a gift or sacrifice or sufficient value in order that the wrath of another might be appeased. Propitiation. Everybody say. When God, whom God, Romans 3 verses 25 and 26, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Am I saying that right? Let's pretend I am through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want to camp at that one, but I'm going to keep moving because I have more. 1 John 2 one verses one and two, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The cross provides atonement. The definition of atonement means to cover, to make at one, to pardon, to forgive, 
and show mercy. Atonement. Exodus 12, 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Praise break. Zahir has been begging for a praise break ever since he's started playing for us. I would do one except I misstep all the time. I can't get, I have practiced. I have practiced at home in front of the mirror and I just, I'm so white, I can't help it. got distracted sorry the cross provides victory in this context the definition of victory is a conquest over satan's kingdom victory Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I want to say something about that. See, the, the, the people of Israel had a hard time accepting Jesus as the Messiah because the Jesus, the, the Messiah they expected to see uh, was the Son of Man, described by Daniel in the seventh chapter, this glorious white-headed, white robe. And then, but Jesus comes and he's plain and simple. Having dinner with a prostitute. Washing feet. I could go on and on and on and on. And so, so they're like this, the, the only hint this could be him was the one moment only three of the men saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took them up to this elevated place that on a high mountain and transfigured before them. And he was the vision that Daniel saw. But he told them to not tell anybody. And so they're like, the ones they expected him to come and, and free them from are the ones that are, putting him on the tree. They wanted him to conquer Rome, but he had come to conquer hell. This can't be him, but what they couldn't see was when he took his last breath on the cross, the glorious one walked into hell. Eyes blazing, seized the keys from the dark one and made a show of them openly. This was something happening. If you want to talk about Armageddon, that was where the real Armageddon, where the mouth of God, the voice of God came in and destroyed darkness once and for all. The plain and simple, glorious truth. Hebrews, the second chapter, Starting with verse 14, in as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Wow. Satan held the power of sin, sickness, disease, and death, as well as control over his own kingdom of principalities, powers, and wicked spirits in the world system. At Christ's death, he disarmed the princes and powers of Satan, stripping him of the keys of death and hell. He spoiled principalities and powers, making a show of them. 
Jesus made a show of him. I'm getting close. Just one more paragraph and it says conclusion. So that's, I'm going to give you the clue to kind of come, since it says conclusion, it's only 1138, so I might stretch it out a little bit. But the cross provides healing. Any sick among you? The cross provides healing. We pray for the sick around here so Jesus can get what he paid for. I'll say that again. We pray for the sick around here so that Jesus can get what he paid for. He, I mean, he could just heal you without any effort on our part. But he's created it in such a way that he requires partnership. And he wants us to step into this place of redemption, knowing that we've been cleansed by the blood of the cross and empowered by the cross and know that there is healing in the cross and so that gives us this voice of authority to declare healing as it relates to the cross it's the plain and simple truth we strive and strive and we beg God to heal and we don't even put the cross in our mind when we're asking for healing the cross was the price paid I, I don't know if anybody, we had a great Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had a tumor in a back just disappeared right right here, right over here. Then I walked over here and a, a lady started getting all Pentecostal on me, knocking over a few chairs. I said, settle, settle, settle. I want to know what happened. And, and I declared that lungs were expanding. Are you here, lung lady? I know it's Brenda. I just like, wanted to call her lung lady. Are you still breathing good over there? Oh. See, healing sticks. Healing sticks. It works. Hey, there she goes. It's happening again. Doom, 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 doom. Our very bodies have been redeemed that we may lay our sickness and infirmities upon him who bore them, that we may take his resurrection life for every physical need of our mortal frame. Isaiah 53 and 5, I quoted it at the beginning. It was my first of about 20 or 30 scriptures. I'm going to quote it again. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So I want to say this. If you're watching online, we're streaming to a few places. If you're watching online, if you're far away from God, if you're in this room and you're far away from God, you can be brought near to Jesus by the cross. If you are in a place of need, if you're bound by things that you want broken, if you're without hope for your future, if you have a nagging sense of doubt about your salvation, now is the time to let God do a miracle for you. Amen. 
some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain. He died and he rose again. Everything in the universe hinges on this fact, this plain and simple truth. Either he rose or he didn't. As individual humans, we have to decide for ourselves. I'm not saying that not believing means it didn't happen. He rose and is alive and we must come into alignment with this truth. Doing so affects how we pray, how we expect, how we deal with all of our circumstances. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then his preaching was in vain. Our faith is useless and we are still in our sins and are pitied among all men because we are foolishly wasting our lives. Paul also said that if Jesus didn't rise, then if he didn't rise, then he and all the disciples were false witnesses of God because they all said they saw him. In other words, they would be lying about God. Paul's whole life changed because of his encounter with the risen one on the road to Damascus. He endured beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, ridicule, you name it. And eventually he laid his head on a guillotine. Every one of the disciples' lives changed because they saw the risen Jesus. All were martyred and all they had to do was say, I didn't see him. That's it. John wrote that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's why for John, in the midst of persecution in a cave on an island, he prayed and pressed into the presence of God. He knew Jesus was the Son of Man, risen. And in heaven. Jesus, risen, changes everything. It means he is fully present, whether we feel it or not. It means that he is listening, whether we feel it or not. That we can have peace and be of good cheer while the storms rage around us. And the storms are seemingly greater than they've ever been. And the need to be able to walk on water, to take risk. Faith is about taking risk. It's not faith if you're not risking something, if it's your own dignity. Sometimes it's your dignity that you have to risk, that you step out on the water of nothingness, but it's like you've stepped onto a stone sidewalk. There's nothing there. It looks like raging water but it feels like a cement sidewalk and it's holding me up it's 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 called faith it's called faith it's called this is this is how we come into the kingdom you have to see him you have to see him have you seen him i, I i've <laughs> There's one, I don't have time to tell it, but there was just like one amazing vision I had about 15 years ago where I actually saw the Lord. He, he, he stepped out on a stage at a church and he wrapped a belt around his waist. And as he fastened the buckle, there were fiery white letters that spelled the word yes. And he looked at me. I saw him looking at me. Have you seen him? I saw him look at me and he said, you have the yes of heaven. Ask me for the difficult things. 
ask me for the hard stuff because you, I was undone. I, I, was, I was undone. I was just, I mean, I, I, was, I had had a dream and I woke up and I went into the bathroom to pray because of the dream I was having. And then in, while I'm praying and interceding, I see Jesus show up. I see Jesus. I see you must see him. You have to see him. You can't come into the kingdom if you don't allow your eyes to see him. Moses saw him. First, it was the burning bush. I mean, it wasn't a face-to-face encounter, but it was, he, he knew it was him when he heard the voice. Take off your shoes. He saw him in the sound of his voice, but it was years later when he's up on the mountain again, and he's, after all that he experienced, Moses said, show me your glory. I must see you. No man can see me and live, came the response. But there was something about the urgent cry in Moses' heart that convinced God to say, okay, I'll let you see me. But only as I'm walking away. King James called it the hinder parts. Only as I'm walking away will you be able to see me. And it affected him so that when he returned to the camp, his body glowed. And they had to put a veil over him because he saw him. Nebuchadnezzar saw him. He, he, he saw him. He said it's, he sees him in the furnace where the three Hebrew boys are. He said, I, I see one that looks like the son of God. Ezekiel saw him as a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Mary saw him. The little baby face of God. She nurtured him and she she saw him grow and She saw him be tortured. And she saw him breathe his last. John the Baptist saw him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now you have to understand the people that John was talking to understood the language of the Lamb. He, he, they knew that, th- that this somehow represented the sacrifice that was required, that they had to come every year and bring a lamb. But, but now John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Have you seen him? Sure you've seen him. Surely you've seen him in Sunday school stories. When you would hear how Jesus fed the 5,000. You could see his hands when we read the scripture, how he broke the bread. You could just see it, right? Your mind could see it. It takes imagination, but you could see it. You saw him feed. Uh, I know I saw him. Not only in the vision, but before that, I could imagine in all the stories my mom and dad ever told me, every preacher ever preached, every movie I ever watched about the crucifixion, I could imagine suspended on the wooden beams, stripped, beaten, a bloody, tortured mess of a man. I saw him. But what's even more incredible, I imagined that he saw me. And I was undone. I could see his passion for me. See, it it, it requires your ability to see him before you'll ever be able to worship. 
It's, it's, it's really the greatest definition of worship is love responding to love. And when you see love suspended on a cross, love displayed as the sacrifice, your heart explodes in worship. Your heart explodes in adoration. You get past the grueling uh, reality of his, of his death and you realize the effect. The effect of the crucified one and how it brings transformation to the human heart. I saw him. Can you see him? I see Jesus. The magnificent one. The brilliant one. The one whose eyes burn like fire. The one who has feet like bronze, like brass. Allow yourself to see him today. The resurrected one. The one who lives forever. The one who became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could provide himself as a sacrifice to take away the sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. My hope and peace. My hope and peace. It's only by the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of was a cold and dark Friday. But there was a promise of a beautiful, bright Sunday. The day. This is the plain and simple truth. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I should write a song. I want Tanner to come. I, I want you to be blessed. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to understand the transformation that is available. Maybe everybody in the room already has experienced this transformation or maybe there's a need to draw near again. Maybe you've let yourself pull away and be distracted by everything that goes on in the world. Just the fear of news pulling you away from your intimacy with him. Today is the day. The day, today is your day. Come and see. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.